0: Hello and a big warm welcome to this week's Wildlife Matters podcast with me, your host, Nigel Palmer. In this week's exciting podcast, our main feature is going to be looking all about badgers. Yes, that's right. One of your favorite topics is back again. And in Wildlife Matters Investigates, we're going to be looking at the lion bone trade. Yeah, right. That is a thing. And we're asking, is it a roaring success? okay we'll find out more in this week's wildlife matters investigate and we're gonna spend a little bit of time having a relaxing moment mindful moment in nature but before all that let's get into this week's wildlife matters nature news Hello and welcome to this week's Wildlife Matters Nature News where we're going to be looking at something I'm sure a lot of you would have already seen on social media and that was the Metropolitan Police shooting of two staffies last week, Marshall and Millions, on an open street in London's Limehouse last Sunday afternoon. It is a shocking story on so many levels and we couldn't uh, ignore it i don't want to go into the videos too much in detail because i am sure most of you would have seen them by now but i have to say when i first saw it i was shocked and in the things that i do i have seen a lot of horrific footage but to see our police people that we like you like me i'm sure have been brought up to understand that the police are there to serve and protect us And to see armed police just shooting dogs in cold blood on British streets just shocked me to a level that I really struggled. So there is an ongoing court case. We're not going to go into too much detail because we obviously don't want to prejudice that in any way at all. So what we will focus on is the vigil that took place uh, last Thursday evening outside Scotland Yard where dozens of animal rights activists uh, joined together for a candlelit vigil. Most of the protesters came from the Animal Rising, which was a group that worked on last month's uh, Grand National. And they accused the force of murdering Louis Turnbull's pets called Millions and Marshall and held up signs demanding justice. The police had been called to report from a woman that she and her dog were being attacked by two dogs in Commercial Road Limehouse just after five o'clock last Sunday afternoon. It was reported that she had suffered an injury to her leg, but did not require hospital treatment. The footage posted on social media shows the officers approaching Turnbull 46 who was holding the two animals on a short lead along the canal. Turnbull was tasered in a heated exchange, arrested and charged with being the owner of a dog dangerously out of control and in possession of a dog whilst disqualified from owning them. He appeared in custody at Thames Magistrates Court. Turnbull has pleaded not guilty to being an owner in charge of a dog dangerously out of control and will appear at Snaresbrook Crown Court on June the 6th. A petition calling for criminal charges against the officers who destroyed Turnbull's pets has hit over 100,000 signatures. Dan Kibbey a co-founder of Animal Rising said at the protest the police have continued to act out of line with their job to serve and protect us all now resulting in the shooting of two beautiful dogs who who hours before were happy and just full of life we're here tonight to show that as a community we stand together and be peaceful and defiant in the face of injustice the met's directorate of professional standards conducted a thorough review of the incident, including all the available body-worn footage, and was satisfied that there are no concerns around officer conduct, said a Met Police spokesman. But two complaints about the fatal shooting of Millions and Marshall are now being assessed by the Independent Office for Police Conduct. I do think that this is something we need to look into. There have been a range of reports about police uh, acting outside of their acceptable levels that they need to do, overusing force and violence. And there are so many issues within this one particular case that need to be explored, and perhaps we need to understand more. But one thing is for certain that two dogs, Minions and Marshall, were shot dead on a public street. In broad daylight in London in a way that was just unacceptable there were six or seven armed police officers who tased a man who clearly on the video you could see was not putting up any resistance at all and I think the police do need to stand up and be made to answer their actions and account for their actions and then we can make a decision on this But I really don't see the the streets of Britain to be a very safe place if you're a dog owner right now. It worries me and I don't know what we've become in our society but I really think we need to stop, reflect and take a look at what is driving us to become such a violent, selfish and just a cruel society anyway a little bit too much opinion from me possibly on that one but that this has you know I've been in this over 30 years and this is really sure sh- I've never ever seen anything like this so do follow uh, you can follow Dominic Dyer on all social media platforms who is campaigning? for some justice for this and i suggest you get over and see the work that dominic's doing or catch him on some of the tv radio and other work that he's doing to highlight this case that for now though has been this week's wildlife matters nature news Hello and welcome to this week's Wildlife Matters Investigates where we are going to be doing an expose on the lion bone trade, yeah, that is a real thing and we're asking is it a roaring success? Well, before we answer some of those questions, uh, we ought to begin by outlining some of the recent history of the illegitimate trafficking of lion bones. All the way back in May 1993, the Chinese State Council imposed a prohibition on utilizing tiger bones in traditional Chinese medicine due to strong pressure from the then US Clinton administration. In 2005, an inspection executed by traffic revealed evidence that African lions were utilized as an element in tiger wine. Traffic established that The Xiangsan wine company, situated in southeast China, had a permit that allowed them to make 400,000 containers of tiger wine every year. Even though the label suggested tiger wine and the bottle was shaped like a tiger, what was actually inside and labeled as an ingredient was Pantera Leo or lion bones. The chinese government carried out an investigation in october 2006 where they discovered that only 16 lawfully obtained lion carcasses were found and that no tiger bones were used to make any of the wine and that is taken from the now and ling study of 2007. of course this stirred unease among the animal welfare groups that The ban on using tiger bone in traditional Chinese medicine could have a devastating influence on the future of wild African lions. Then in mid 2008, South Africa issued its first export permit for 50 lion skeletons to be exported to Laos that were obtained from captive bred lions. South Africa fast became a center of attention at this time due to the number of captive red lions held by breeders and suspicions around the can hunting businesses that were in the country. For the next three years, CITES approved over 1,160 lion skeletons or about 10.8 metric tons of lion bones to be exported from the country. They were sourced from two provinces, The Northwest Free State and the Eastern Cape. South Africa is notorious for breeding lions on a large scale, and many facilities promote their canned hunting industry that allows hunters to shoot wild animals inside enclosed areas. Northwest Free State Province is the epicentre. Of the captive lion breeding industry and has around 3,000 lions in over 70 breeding and two hunting facilities. This is a tragic life for the captive bred lions that begins at these breeding centers that masquerade as rescue centers but ones that allow cub petting and lion walks as the cubs get a little older. Cubs between 6 and 12 months of age are then sold to the hunting estates where they are openly advertised to be shot. It's your choice whether you use a gun, a crossbow or a bow and arrow, but the animals will often be sedated and placed within small enclosures, providing a guarantee that the hunter can bag a real lion. This horrific trade has no compassion. Once the canned hunter has paid his dollars and killed his lion and then gone off with the lion's head as a trophy, The paws, tail, and in the case of males, genitals and their bones are then sold to dealers to be used in traditional Chinese medicine. However, the value of a lion skeleton is determined by the completeness of the skeletal set. The increased value of lion bones has led some lion farmers to exhume carcasses of lions that were buried before 2008 to obtain their skulls. The horrifying trade in lion parts has caused an increase in the price of lion bones that has now soared to more than 500 US dollars per kilogram. Meaning that lionesses have a greater value to the breeders as bones than she does to be killed by the so called canned hunters. And note: in none of this is there any value given to the life of that wonderful lion or lioness and its value to the natural world and our ecosystems and just the magnificence of the creature itself. I just find the whole thing so appalling. Desperate syndicates driven by the immense profit have now resorted to slaughtering entire packs of their caged lionesses. Previously females had little or no value. Breeders from hunting, but this huge increase in profits has made the females commercially viable or valuable. I just hate it. The international community was outraged at the barbaric practices and had hoped to use the CITES COP 17 to introduce zero quotas on wild and captive lion bones being sold into the traditional Chinese medicine trade. But instead, South Africa tabled a compromise document. And this was agreed and it allowed the disdainful practice to be continued unhindered. The cost is tremendous. Lions are being torn from their families and mercilessly killed for the grasp of corporate greed. I think South Africa should be ashamed of their decisions to basically just make money from what is a natural asset of the country. And surely they can understand that if they leave the lions in the wild then people will want to come to their country to see the lions and enjoy their amazing habitats and what a beautiful country South Africa is anyway let me try to explain to you what is tiger wine because I'm sure many of us don't know what it is haven't heard of it well let's first start by looking at traditional Chinese medicine which is supposed to take a holistic look and link the body and its ailments to the local environment. Because the tiger is seen as agile, strong and energetic, these attributes are given to tiger bone wine that is used as a stimulant for fatigue or for bone-related ailments such as arthritis or rheumatism and even osteoporosis. Tiger bone wine is made by soaking powdered tiger bones in rice wine for long periods of time, in fact, often up to 10 years. The belief is that by absorbing nutrients from the bones, the wine will pass on the animal's strength and vitality to the person who drinks the wine. Well, first of all, We'll let you make your mind up on the medicinal values of tiger wine, but Wildlife Matters would really caution you against, anybody against drinking the fermented bone wine as any form of cure and the fact that it could do anything to you, apart from I would imagine, make you feel completely just yuck. South Africa exports thousands of these captive bred lion carcasses every year to Asia and the Middle East and has done so even between 2008 and 2016 when they were under forced restrictions to limit their export quota to 800 lions per annum there were a series of scandals on the amount of lion carcasses that were being illegally exported from the country and also with the the shock of the canned lion hunting industry as that became much more of an issue to people in the wider community while this trade is based on captive bred lions poachers have also capitalized on the opportunity to poach wild lions throughout their range in sub-saharan africa the poachers do use guns but have also taken to poisoning waterholes and setting snare traps with poisoned baits, so as not to devalue the skins and possibly damage the lions' bones when they kill them with either guns or bows and arrows. It's just like an appalling race to the bottom, really, isn't it? It's really, really hard to get your head around the depravity of some human beings. It really is. A survey by the African Wildlife Foundation has found that 35% of wild lion mortalities were directly linked to lions being killed for their body parts. With retaliatory killings, i.e. tribes killing lions who had killed their cattle being the other main cause of lion fatality. Drug dealers, zoos and ornamental trinkets are just some of the uses for the illegal animal products researchers found 48 percent of lion carcasses have their body parts removed which clearly shows that the value of lion bone and the body parts is the clear motivation for these lions being killed in the wild the lion trade from south africa is nothing short of an atrocity driven only by money and a complete disregard for the animal's health and well-being these inhumane practices make intensive farming in the West look almost benign in comparison it's high time that the international community steps up and puts an end to this barbaric act by outlawing any attempt to remove lions or their body parts from any part of Africa the kings and queens of the wild animal kingdom are at extreme risk of becoming extinct in the wild during most of our lifetimes driven by our selfish greed and misplaced belief that consuming an animal body part may cure us of all ills or make us successful in love or business. The stupidity of our generation is explicitly exposed by such practices. And what sort of legacy is that for us to leave for our future generations? That has been this week's Wildlife Matters Investigates. that time again where we get to just sit back for a few moments and relax with some sounds of nature and this one I'm gonna give you a clue is a bird and I recorded it uh, just about a year ago June 2022 in my garden so let's see if you can guess what bird this is That was a a little shrill to be very relaxing, I would say, for a mindful moment. But that was, um, I don't know how many of you can remember back to series one of the podcast, episode seven, when I had the pleasure of following a family of these birds through a summer while they raised their young. Well, let me introduce you, if you do remember that one, to Victoria. She is the female who is still around the garden and the general area. And anyone who did listen to that will know that we have been listening to a sparrowhawk. I really hope you have enjoyed this week's Mindful Moments. welcome back and on this week's wildlife matters main feature we're going to be talking of all about badgers yeah one of your favorite subjects and um it's the first in a series really of podcast celebrating some of the uk's most iconic wildlife and that of course is the badger with over three decades of experience with badgers i'm really delighted to be able to share my insights into their ecology behavior in the wild we would explore the way they communicate within their communities, how they forage for food, and how they work together to protect their stronghold territories. Unfortunately, this celebration must also come with a warning about the dangers that wild badgers face in the UK today. Wildlife crime such as badger baiting, their dwindling natural habitat due to overdevelopment or destruction by humans, and, of course, the government-approved badger culls In a separate series of podcasts, we will cover each of these issues, as well as my experience working with wounded badger patrols set up in 2013 to help protect badgers from being shot under the government license. For now, though, best marvel at the resilience and beauty of these incredible animals. First off, then, we're going to take a look at badger ecology. European or Eurasian badger of the genus Melis is a native British mammal species and a member of the Mustelid family that also includes pine martins and stoats. These low slung animals are much maligned for their perceived grumpiness, but in reality, they are social animals that live in tight knit groups called clans. Although members of the Mustelede family are large carnivores with fearsome reputations, badgers themselves are omnivores, who love nothing more than to dig. They'll spend hours burrowing intricate tunnel systems into the earth. All badgers, no matter if they live alone or with others, will always create two sets of tunnels, one main entrance tunnel and an escape tunnel leading from the set. Sets can have multiple entrances though but the number of sets doesn't necessarily indicate how many badgers will be calling them home. Badger sets can be passed down from generation to generation within a clan. Some continue to exist for centuries without ever falling out of use. These terrestrial burrow systems provide shelter from predators, as well as shade during hot days and warmth through the cold seasons. Inside the set, there are several sleeping dens and a nursery den for newborn cubs. The largest recorded badger set in Britain was found to have extended over 15 by 35 meters and had 12 separate entrances. Just imagine all those twisting tunnels weaving beneath your feet. It's truly awe-inspiring to think about these natural architects at work. Badger species have been in Britain for at least 250,000 years with historians now suggesting that badgers could have been here for more than 400,000 years and that is way way longer than us humans have been here. So let's just have a little look at badger biology. So, adult badgers are around 70 to 75 centimeters in length. They have short, powerful legs with long claws with the distinctive wedge-shaped body that allows them to move around underground, but also gives them that very distinctive wobble at the rump when they run above ground. A badger's head and face Well, male badgers are known as boars and females as sows. Males are generally longer and heavier with a wider head. Adult badgers can weigh something between 12 and 15 kilograms. Badgers are easily identified by their black and white striped faces. They have very powerful jaws with their jaw muscles attached to a ridge on their skull known as a sagittal crest. This is what gives them their distinctive head shape. An adult badger's fur is dense and the individual hairs are very thick. The hairs are predominantly white with a black band near the outer edge and it's this that gives badgers their distinctive black-white to grey colouring. Badgers have what is described as loose-fitting skin, I think that might apply to lots of us, that helps them evade capture by potential predators and the coat on their rump is very dense and coarse, making it look like they're wearing trousers. The badger will often bite other badgers rumps. It is most prominent though in autumn when the sows will drive male cubs away from the set by biting their rumps. Badgers spend most of their time foraging for food or foraging for mates. Their territory can be around 50 to 100 acres and consists of underground burrows and tunnels that the clan call home. The badgers love the thrill of a good fight, and one badger will challenge another to secure mating rights with a female. They have pretty poor eyesight, but a very well-developed sense of smell. They use this for communication between the clan members, including danger alerts and mating status using a range of scents that they produce from glands on their feet and the base of their tail. Badgers raise their tails while marking so that all individual clan members have a similar scent. This is known as aloe marking. Another scenting method is squat marking where they lift their tails and they dip their rear ends which contain a subcaudal gland. When badgers defecate they use Specially dug pits known as latrines that are found around the edges of their territories. The faeces will be scented as a warning to other badgers. Badgers can also scent mark with their feet meaning they leave a message every time they walk one of their regular routes. Badger reproduction. Badgers mate during the winter when most of the other animals are asleep or they've left the territory. Sometimes as many as three males will mate with a single female. The embryos will start growing in autumn, but sows will time the birth of the cubs to February or March the following year. At that time she'll make a nursery chamber lined with ferns and grasses under stones. She selects an abandoned burrow or maybe she'll dig her own if there's not one available. Babies are robust enough to survive underground until their eyes open at around seven weeks old, at which point they will need their mother to bring them solid food in addition to their milk, almost every night for another two months or so. In early summer, they begin to appear above ground as most other animals are settling into their territories. They stay with their family until early autumn When male cubs are driven away from the main clan to find new females and the cycle of creating new clans begins all over again. What about their diet? What do badgers eat? Well, badgers are best described as opportunistic omnivores. You see, they'll eat a wide range of seasonal foods but they predominantly eat earthworms and insects. In spring, their diet will include plant bulbs such as bluebells and daffodils, and the eggs of ground nesting birds. By summer they will be eating small invertebrates and raiding the occasional bee or wasp nest for protein packed larvae. When autumn comes around this is a vital time and badgers will take advantage of the abundant natural harvest by eating fruits, nuts, grains, maize and other things such as blackberries and apples. These are all vital to build up their fat reserves for winter. Badgers do have poor eyesight so hunting fast prey is pretty rare. They use their amazing sense of smell to locate rabbit kits and grubs underground. During the winter months badgers will remain in their sets for extended periods. They don't hibernate as such but they can stay underground for several days surviving on the fat reserves that they've built up during their autumn abundance. During winter the ground will often become frozen, sometimes for several days and even these natural diggers can't find worms that they would normally eat. This is where their varied diet will assist them and they will take mollusks and other remaining fallen nuts and fruits and fats anything that they can find. Just like other wild mammals in winter badgers have to use a massive amount of energy to find and digest food so they need to be pretty confident of finding food or they are better not to venture out in the first place. Now with such a long history of uh, being in the UK of course badgers are intrinsic to our culture our mythology and our folklore so got a little bit here that I just wanted to explain some things that you may or maybe not know about badgers. They're elusive, mysterious and ingrained in folklore. The badger is a uniquely English animal. There are some fascinating stories from our ancestors and maybe a couple of things that you may not know all about badgers. So the name badger is from the white mark on the face and it is said to resemble a badge or maybe the name comes from the French word besure which means digger if you're from Wales they're often referred to as Mokdea which translates as earth repeat the earliest written use of the word badger was all the way back in 1523 however it was lightly known as brock or borson before then. The term badger was originally used to describe an itinerant trader. There's an old superstition that states when a badger bites it won't let go until its teeth meet and that's pretty scary, although it isn't true. Badgers have five toes with powerful long claws on their front feet. But only four on their rear feet. And that's the end of our first look into the fascinating badger, and we've had a look at its ecology and other things. We will continue the All About Badger series into the future. I hope you've enjoyed that. That has been this week's Wildlife Matters main feature. back and i hope you enjoyed this week's wildlife matters main feature now what's coming up on the next wildlife matters podcast well let me tell you first of all we're going to be looking at the rbct now for those who don't know what that means that is the randomized magical trials that took place in the uk the largest scientific research survey of its type in the world and asking why is it still so important today and of course we'll be giving you the answers. Then in Wildlife Matters Investigates it's time to pack our bags because we're off on a trip. Not just around the UK though this time we're going around the world yeah around the world in 17 hedgehog species that's right there are hedgehogs on almost every continent of this world and we're going to be talking about those and telling you all about the different types of hedgehog that you can find all over this planet so that's something to look forward to of course we're going to have all your regular news and features and mindful moments and all of those things to enjoy I would just also before I go just like say a huge thank you for the emails that we've been getting and we are going to do a little section and answer some of those a few questions about me why the podcast started and uh, some of the aims of what Wildlife Matters is hoping to achieve. So I think perhaps a little Q&A is on the cards for an upcoming episode, and I'm really looking forward to doing that. So if you have a question you would like to ask me personally or about wildlife or about almost anything, and I'll do my best to answer, then do get in touch. My email address is hello at wildlife-matters.org that is hello at wildlife-matters.org and I really look forward to receiving your questions and hopefully answering them in a future episode not too far away and that's it for this week's episode so all that's left for me to say is thank you so much for your company and this is me Nigel Palmer Wildlife Matters signing off